Okay, we're rolling. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Woo! Bath Movement presents. Bath Movement presents. Hello, welcome to another episode of Mass Movement Presents, sponsored by Engineer Records. I'm Chris. To my left, Mass Movement Editor Tim. That's me. The uh, <laughs> the pliers to my shakademus. Woo! Down with the kids. <laughs> As ever, Salt we've... Salt uh... your pepper. Oh, mate, I got a list of them. <laughs> Go on, then. Read them off. <laughs> the Charles to my Eddie. <laughs> Remember that fucking shit band? I, mean, I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, you're Millie to my vanilla. Yeah. Whatever... I got a list of them. You got a list of them. I'm surprised. I'd rather be Cheech to your chong. Yeah. Well, I'll come up one day. As ever, we've dug deep into uh, Geekdom to give you another stacked show. Pulsating uh, hour of throbbing enthusiasm. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Well, amongst other things, we've been looking at, at Victory Records and their influence on hardcore in the 90s and where they are now. We've been talking about 90s Bridgen Punks, Charlie's Family Crisis. And, oh, those arseholes. And their influence on the South Wales scene. <laughs> None. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have the latest goings on uh, from Star Wars and Disney. And being as we're all in lockdown at the moment, we managed to grab UK hardcore heavyweights Malevolence for a chat with us. So there's that to look forward to too. But first, as ever, Tim is mad as hell and he's not going to take it anymore. I am. I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to take this anymore! Bloody cover bands. Cover bands, this cover week. Bands. Can't stand them. Okay. Can't stand them. I don't mind bands that do occasional covers, alright? Yeah. Or... Say you, you're further down the line and you do a covers record and you put your own stance on it, right? That's but different, isn't it? cover bands that go out to play, I'm going to club, Seabat, and I'm going to go and watch me a band tonight, right? <laughs> and I'm going to go in. These boys are going to earn like 400, 500 pounds by playing somebody else's music because they can't write their own. Damn straight. And I agree I agree a thousand percent on this. You know I mean? it's, it's, uh... it's profiting from somebody else's endeavour and somebody else's art. Yeah. And I can't. And you know what really pisses me off? When you see these knobheads on Facebook going, I'm going rocking tonight. I'm going rocking. Why are you going rocking? Because I'm going to play with my band. But your band plays other people's music. Yeah. yeah but I'm still rocking tonight. Yeah. No, you're not rocking. No. Right? Because the reality of the situation is you've never sat in a crappy t- transit. You've never hired that van, travelled from A to B to C to D for nothing more than petrol money and lived off noodles and lived off cold beans out of a can. You've never done that. No. If you've not done that, you're not rocking, but you're just making <laughs> money off somebody else's rocking. Glorified karaoke. It is. Yeah. It is. Glorified it's always karaoke. Played With a little by, bit of talent. It's always played by the worst grinning simpletons you've ever seen. Well, it's there's, it seems to be a big thing now. You've got these festivals like Glastonbury, haven't you? Tribute festivals and cover festivals now. And it's it just astounds me. And there's people that... Some of the flyers you see now don't even say like the band's actual name. It used to be like Oasis-ish. Yeah. Or, you know, but now they've just got the, the actual band logos. So you've got these simpletons from the, from the mountains. <laughs> They're all going, did you see that? Metallica and Guns N' Roses supporting are playing the field opposite my house. <laughs> because, right. but funnily enough, see, the drummer from Metallica, he looks like my, my mate Barry what works in the garden centre. <laughs> yeah. Because he is your mate Barry works in the freaking garden centre. Because all they can do is, like, let's bash out some covers, yeah. but let's make us £500 on the weekend. I honestly think it's, it's people who've given up on music go to see cover bands. I think it's people who just don't care about music as it comes bands. Yeah. I don't think it's they've given up. I think it's that they've never been there. They've never yeah. been to like gigs. So it's, you know, you see somebody, oh, I've gone rocking down the club, but right? Yeah. Did you go? If you go 
like 200 yards further down the road, there's some band playing their own music. They've worked, sweated the, their guts out, and they've bled to create. Yeah. And they're playing to an audience, maybe three people, because you're all in the club listening to some band playing status quo covers. Exactly, yeah. I mean, you take... Um... I give up. It's just... It's, I, I, it's, it's the absolute stupidity of the human race written large. I'd rather go and see somebody play music I can listen to all the time on my records, play it badly, yeah, really, really badly, and go and see a band play original music who are offering something, who put something decent and original in the world. Yep, every time. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah. I, I, I don't get it. Because they toil, they've like they've sat together in a in a shitty practice room until they've got that song right. Yeah. They've not gone in with like, oh, this is, you know, here's the, the sheet music. Right. Let's this all go and learn this cover and then yeah, come yeah. together, boys, and play it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Besides, I don't really like people enough to want to gather to yeah. see a band play somebody else's music. I just, I just don't like people that much, you know? And I'll tolerate you... people to see original music in yeah. bands, but I won't do it to see somebody play cover music. And are you going to better the original? You know, what I mean, it's like, are you gonna be better than them? Is what, what is, no. is that the point of it? I don't know what the no, point I mean, is. That's, I don't mind when bands, you know, like who've been around for a while, say we're gonna do a covers record to show you where the music inspired us, and they put their own slant on it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. I don't mind bands doing the original cover. Yeah. On records and, and putting a couple of covers in here and there because it helps you discover other music, but discover those bands that music. Of course. But when you go when you go somewhere like that, you're not discovering anything new because no, it's, it's right. all the covers you you listen to mm. or these bands play are specifically designed to get. Oh, how am I going to say this? Intellectually subnormal. Yeah. To, to buy another pint of Carlin and watch his band play because I know that song. That's what's top the pops band. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why you're mad as hell. I'm always mad as hell. Well, that's just <laughs> another, another fact, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Well, yeah. I am. Obviously, I'm going to take it right up the poop chute because I continually do. <laughs> yeah. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Let's move on then. Yeah. Are you mad about Bob Iger getting sacked? See, did he? Uh, sorry, did not getting sacked. Um, did he quit? Right, or was he pushed? Yes, that's yeah, the question. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, I think it was very certain. I think it's a mistake. Yeah. On everybody's part, because Bob Iger's guided the company on to arguably to yeah. incredibly good. For things. sure. Yeah, yeah. Great, great stuff. He brought Disney back to sort of prominence. Mm. There was a time when they were sort of. Uh, yeah, well, that was the eighties, and so I mean. Sort of tail end of the eighties, begin the nineties, when the parks had seen better days, and they were, you know, basically living off the parks' legacy rather than any creative output they made. But now, you know, you can't go anywhere now without a Disney property, yeah, or running headlong into Disney property, especially with Disney Plus as a platform. So I mean, the the dude he's handed over to is ironically also called Bob, um, Bob some Bob Hoodyma Flip. Bob Seger. <laughs> it was Bob Seger. He's going, get out of Disneyland, go! Eager out, Seger. Get out of Disneyland, go, go, go! <laughs> but, no, uh, I think it's a really bad move. I honestly think yeah, it's a I really bad it is, move. Yeah, um, I think It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but in yeah. the two days since he announced it last week, in two days since he announced it, one of the Jungle Cruise boats sank <laughs> Disney World yes. with everyone on board and the, the, the guests had to be rescued and the people the people move like two carriages crashed into each other in Disney World so it's like this is this is an over yeah, this yeah. importance like the mouse is not happy this wouldn't have happened in the bob <laughs> oh, this is Walt going you've made a mistake yeah <laughs> source was apprentice thing and casting magic on him yeah 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 that's what's happening there it's, it's not <laughs> I, I'm I'm not convinced it's a good idea. Um, we shall see. I mean, he's head of creative now. Yes. He's moved sort of sideways, maybe. I yeah, don't know. yeah, yeah. Um, maybe he's had enough of just making the big decisions, and he just wants to exercise some creative. Yeah, that would make sense. 
It may not be. I mean, muscle. We're, we're looking at it. There may not be any sort of animosity in there. It may be sort of like... Yeah, I and mean, we don't. We can't read between the lines. We, can't, no. we don't know what's what's what and what's going on. Exactly, there. yeah, yeah. So you know, As long as they keep different flavoured churros given the parks, all you buggers stop buying my books so I can get back to the parks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, sponsoring this podcast so Chris can come with me. We just go, yes. ooh, two weeks at Disney World. <laughs> and wear my Mickey Mouse ears and hats and shit. Yes. And walk around like, you know. Obviously, yeah. Hi, this is Barney from Night Farm Death, and through my many years of association, you're listening to Mass Movement. Okay. Speaking of people who uh, lost their jobs, Dan DiDio. Dan DiDio. Uh... Ha ha, so long. <laughs> you're I'm, happy about this one, anyway. I'm not going to. I'm not shedding any you're not tears. You're shedding any Dan tears, about that. Dan not at all. So not that, at all. For people who don't know, Dan DiDio is. He was, um, one, was. Of the, <laughs> was one of the heads of DC Comics, along with Jim Lee. Okay. They were sort of um, joint CEOs of the company. One was a CEO, one was a CEO, and one was the COO, like chief executive officer and chief operating officer. Yeah. Um, but there's been a lot of change at DC recently mm. with new, with established characters being moved sideways and being yes. reimagined. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Now that's gone over, like as Keith Moon named that famous band from the sixties, like a Led Zeppelin. Because it's literally one man's hubris thinking you can take something that's worked for nine and a half decades mm. and completely revamp it. And I have no problem with um, new characters being introduced to the universe, but to take a take a character that's there, yeah. established and has a huge mythology, then to just say you you're not part of this anymore. We're going to replace you with this because I know better than yeah no all these right. I know better than every single writer. We've got. I know better than every single artist we got. I know better than every single fan we got because you know. <laughs> I've got a tiny penis and I can't <laughs> get laid. Because my name's on the door. Because my name's on the door, yeah. yeah I've got a tiny yeah, penis and I can't get laid. But that attitude's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's, that I think is what has, has led to him being marched right out the door. Yeah. Because of all, cause when you look at it, you've got so much invested in these characters. Film rights, TV rights. And when somebody says, we're changing it, how can you tie merchandising and film and licensing rights into a character that's not the character you thought you were buying into? Yeah, of course. And yeah. fandom has been up in arms because how many times can you reboot a universe within a, uh, a short frame of time? Because you know it's, it's been done twice in ten years. Yeah. And they're gonna do it again. Yeah. Just feels like an excuse to make more money out of fans. So what would you like to see from DC going forward? I'd like to see DC doing what DC do best, and that's okay. telling incredible stories using incredible characters. Yeah. I'd like to see them introduce a whole new raft of characters. I'd like to see. Um, so joining the established characters. Yeah, I'd like to see a whole new Justice League. Yeah. Bring in new characters. I mean, they did a fantastic job with with Green Lantern Corps. They, they, you know, they've got different lanterns, and the focus being taken away from Hal Jordan, because um, he's in another book says Hal Jordan, Green Lantern, Green Lantern. But it's it's, I'd just like to see DC find its feet again and okay. do what it does best and tell mm. really really good stories they seem to be a bit it's a bit haphazard in the DC yeah yeah. they're chopping and changing so much but over I mean, the years to... I mean the same thing's happening in Marvel though. there's so many variant covers to happen. it just feels mm. like they're trying, they're trying to milk you, you, know? we, yeah, you yeah. there's six variants for this book mm. and there's six variants for this book you need to read this book and this book and this book and there's all these variant covers but yeah. all the variant covers they're just trying to milk us for more money yeah yeah I agree you know? and yeah. I, it, when it comes to something it comes to something I say well I'd rather get the trade which I'll have all the variant covers in a gallery at the back of anyway, and then get it by course, yeah. comics. And yeah. that's kind of what's happening. Yeah. And it's just, it ain't good. Not good. It ain't good. If you're looking for the best new bands punk and hardcore have to offer, 
look no further than Engineer Records, sponsors of Mass Movement Presents. Going back to Disney, yeah. there's been a, a documentary on uh, Walt Disney. Mm, on, a documentary um, called Walt Disney on yeah. the BBC. I play BBC BBC Four. BBC Four. Yeah, it? it's. I don't think it's brand new. I think I've seen it before, but it's yeah. like a two-part documentary on Walt Disney's life. Um, and it's available on my player now, mm. and I recommend downloading it and watching it because he was a fascinating character. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. A I can't, dri- I can't get enough reading. A driven like, sort of creative, yeah. intellectual. I, you know, I'd say genius, but that's what he was. I mean, he yeah. was. And I know you get to get all that sort of plenty of support in the other side in the second world war. No, he didn't. Yeah. That's absolute nonsense, right? Yeah. He supported the Allied war effort by handing over his studios and literally to the American army and saying, "You can barrack your troops here." Yeah. He created like cartoon propaganda that pushed the Allied cause further and sold the Allied cause to people to get them to buy war bonds, and get them to invest in things for the Allied cause. So where the whole money was supporting the other I think I have no idea. It's just like but he's one of those characters that there's so many sort of theories about now, you know. Well, it's frozen head, it's below yeah, Disney. World. No, no, it's not. The thing that jumps out when I when I've read up about uh, Walt Disney, yeah. um is just his drive in the early days. Yeah. He was like so sort of like I these characters, I'm I'm sure that that people will love them. If I can just get them out to people What's and it? he didn't. He didn't let that. He didn't let anything stop him. He had no money. He ran out of money. So he'd like, you know, he'd sell. His brother would sell his car for him. Yeah. Um. Because they all believed that. Well, this is the thing. I mean, you get like a guy who comes from like such a dirt poor background. Yeah. Who you talks about when they were delivering papers from his brother. Yeah. In the middle of winter, with no shoes, with like old shoes full of holes. Yeah. Walking through like knee deep snow to deliver papers at four or five o'clock in the morning yeah. before going to school. And then his first character, Oswald the Lucky, Lucky Rabbit, yeah. was literally stolen off him at the moment of, of its greatest success. Yeah. So then he rebrands him Mickey, and the rest is history. He was originally be called Mortimer. That's right. Like yeah, Mortimer. Yeah. Yeah. But he was just he, he just never. I mean, it must have been hard for him, you know, those those times especially, like you know, oh, what do you, what do, you do for a living? I I draw cartoons. Yeah. I draw things for kids, you know. It must, you know, it must be. It couldn't be many people believe well, it. You can't really get away with saying something like that. What do you do for it? I draw things for children. Yeah, exactly. It's ropey. Now. But it's yeah. But you know, I make cartoons. I make animated films. But you know, the drive and the determination that saw him go from a studio that just employed him and his brother and a couple of animators to creating the biggest global company. Admittedly, he wasn't yeah. alive to see it become what it's become. But he was. He was. There long enough to see Disneyland become the massive success, become yeah. the biggest entertainment park in the, in the world. He was, you know, he was alive long enough to plan Disney yeah. World and Epcot. And it's just, it's just a testament to him. Like, yeah, all he wanted Epcot. was like uh, a place where families could go. And yeah, that's what that was his vision. For a Disneyland. place where everybody could just be happy and yeah. not have to deal with all the crap of the outside world, where yeah. people could be at their absolute best. And, and that's where it provides. Themselves. You go yeah. there when you go to oh, any of the parks. You know, that's it, where it provides. Yeah. Because you go there and you, you automatically... Every, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Every time you go somewhere like Disney World or mm. Disneyland, everybody's at their absolute best. Yes. Because nobody's there to have a bad time. No. Nobody's there to give anybody else crap. Nobody's there to make your day worse. Everybody's there to have a good time and just enjoy themselves. Because yeah. for the amount of money it costs, you damn well want to enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you don't want to be wasting time with aggravation or being bad-tempered or just being pissed off for life. 
Yeah, and you know, it's nice to see that you know, Walt's vision, even in these times, uh, you know, experience at the moment when everybody seems to be sort of arguing over everything. There's, yeah. there's still places in the world you can go, uh, and you know, Walt's vision is alive oh, mate, and well. You know what I mean? My my vision, I don't is is literally I want a little cabin in the woods in Tennessee, right? Yeah. <laughs> and Tennessee, why? Because it's because there's plenty of forestry, there's plenty of areas. Why I can just live myself once a year. I can just emerge from my cabin, put the dog which I have <laughs> for company into a boarding can, and I can go to Disney World for two weeks. That's the only time I'd have to see yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I yeah. know people be their absolute best. Go back to my cabin, just write, read, and drink. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what yeah. I want. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, this documentary from Walt Disney back to it. So it's two hours, two separate parts. Hour yeah. long, and my only complaint about it really is that it doesn't go into enough detail. Okay. It could have easily been twice as long. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. It's a PBS documentary that's like a four four hour thing, which is really, really, really. Oh, that one. Really I think good. I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. But this one just doesn't go into enough detail. Okay. Um, wish we had it more. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could do two hours on just his like in the first its first couple of years, like you know. Yeah. Just how it, it kind of focuses on some stuff which you know we all know is a bit dodgy, like the Song of the South. And yeah, yeah. Everybody knows that's a tainted legacy, and it was a bad idea at the time. Yeah. It's it's, it's an even worse idea now. Yeah. Even though that said, it did give the world Splash Mountain, which is kind of yeah. cool. I kind of like Splash Mountain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like a massive, you know, that massive water shoot, thing, you know. So. <sighs> Out of a tainted legacy, you know, to get a yeah, yeah. to get Splash Mountain. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, is it worth it? Yeah, Splash Mountain's really good. Splash Mountain's awesome. Yeah, but I do like Splash Mountain, man. <laughs> this is like a uh, first time I'm on a Splash Mountain in years. Was when we were there in 2015, and as we're queuing up just to get on the ride because mm. we fast passed it. The, Dude who's running the ride comes up and gives me some fast passes. Yeah. And I, cause I've got a Green Latin t-shirt on. He's like, oh, and I start going. I, so I started saying, uh, in brightest day, and he goes, in blackest night. And it's like, fast passes a go-go. Nice. So there's a fellow, you know, fellow Green Latin fan at Disney Disney World gave me like, tons of fast passes for Splash Mountain. So we went on like, quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. You know, fast pass, fast pass, woo! <laughs> well, having to plug into our own. And it just, it just makes you think, what are, so what, what are your five favourite things about Disney World? When you went in. Uh, okay, so it's it's the it's the people. Yeah. Uh, oh, you're talking about physical things. Yeah, yeah. So so like the attractions. Okay, so it's Pirates Caribbean. Yeah. It's the Walt Museum, the the Disney Museum, to yeah. the where the guy's office and stuff. Like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Museum yeah. Where it is. It's uh, Space Mountain. Yeah. Um. It's the Haunted Mansion. Yeah. What's that for? That's for one more. I do enjoy um, Epcot as a whole. Right. So, uh, see, mine would be Haunted Mansion. Yeah. Right. Uh, Epcot, just because I love Epcot. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely yeah. Absolutely adore yeah, Epcot. Yeah. Epcot as a whole. And then three. I see. I'd go for Tower of Terror over Hollywood. Oh Super damn! Movie. I forgot about that. And, and that's because yeah. I know the guy who they filmed as Rod Surly. Yeah. Not his voice. I know the guy who actually yeah, played. Yeah, yeah. Um, four. I guess. It would be one of the really old attractions, maybe the Tiki Room. I, yeah. I can love the Tiki Room. 
And then I had to put I I I got changed my I got to put small small world in there as well. Oh, I can't stand small world. I know. Drives me mental. Um, but like joint. There's something completely part of the three three things be joint fifth. So it'd be like Big Thunder Mountain, Space Mountain, Splash Mountain. It'd be the mountains. The mountain trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> but that's Disney one. So if you're in Disneyland, yeah, 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 it's completely different. Yeah, because it's like Haunted Mansion first. Yeah. Then Star Tours. Yeah. Second, oh, yeah. in in Disneyland, and then it would be the Matt Hall. Yeah. The Matterhorn's just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit jerky. It's a bit bumping. It's a bit. Oh, <laughs> but it's it's, it's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and fourth in Disneyland. Oh, see, I love the Main Street Parade. Yeah, I love yeah. Love the Electric Parade. So that would be that, and then I guess fifth. Yeah, it would be Space Mountain because Space Mountain is better in Disneyland than it is in Disney World. <laughs> That's yeah, just yeah. Uh, oh, oh, we gotta go back, man. We'll be there. We'll be back. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know it. Your power's a weak old man. So, staying with uh, Disney. Yeah. Star Wars had an interesting... I say Star Wars. Disney, Marvel, IDW Publishing. Yeah. This Project Luminous. See, uh, I don't know much about it. All I know about Project Luminous is that Charles Sewell is going to write one of the books. I don't know much about the mythology of it. Which is good enough. Which is good enough for me, because I love Charles Sewell. Charles Sewell is one hell of a writer. And he's written... um, Darth Vader. Comics, he's written Vader. And he's... Uh, uh, Dameron, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but is a great writer. He's, he, I think he's one of those like underrated sort of comic book writers that we'll take for granted. He understands his source material. He's a, he's, oh. a, he's a fan of it, he loves it. He's and a dude he, who loves comics, who writes yeah, comics. Yeah. He's a dude who loves Star Wars, who's yeah. going Star Wars. He, he comes across as a fan who, who knows what a fellow fan wants to see. Yeah. And, and he delivers on And that. he's good at it. And he's a great writer. You, I mean, I don't care. I mean, there are soul haters out there, but I'm not one of them. I no. am far from being a soul hater. I'm a, no, proper, like, I'm a so. proper soul fanboy. So they've announced like it's going to be uh, the High Republic, Star Wars, the High Republic. Right. So we're talking uh, 200 years before the the Rise of Skywalker. Uh, sorry, the Skywalker saga. Okay. Um, when the Jedi uh, was at its height, when they were like you know keepers of the galaxy. Yeah. I the think, Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, they might pop along. <laughs> Please. <laughs> so yeah, it's in the Old Republic. Yeah. It's it's a story we've always wanted to sort of uh, explore. It's a you know. A part of Star Wars lore we've always wanted to see. Right. It's been in previous books, which are now not canon. Yeah, so it'd be interesting. Like, so this, is, this is a way of bringing bringing the old Republic back into canon. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, right. I'm restoring the mythology and the sort of greater history of. Because we've only ever seen Jedi's when they're depleted in the you know sort of in a depleted state. Really, we've never seen them when they they were. Uh, you know, I say they they ruled the galaxy. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that'll be interesting. Um, There'll be no characters. I mean, I mean, Yoda may show up. Right. Being like, how oh, many? Oh, nine hundred years old is he? Eight hundred years old. Well, yeah, well eight hundred years old you are. Look as good you are. Yeah, exactly. You so he may, he may show up. But it'd be, it'd be nice to see like, you know, we're not relying on any characters we know. So it's like a whole clean slate. Yeah. Um, so it's a chance that it's, it's just wiping the slate clean and beginning again and sort of giving. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what they're gonna do with the new film. I mean, hmm. there's gonna be a new film. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. A new films. Uh, films. Uh, so yeah, see, I don't know as much about the mytho- the great mythology as you do on Star Wars. Yeah, I I did, but now it feels like it's because uh, it's not canon. Right. We've got to rediscover. They're all sort of what they call it. Which now, is what um, makes this so exciting. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those books are now sort of what they call they call Jedi. It's like <laughs> Jedi bullshit. <laughs> Uh, that's sort of bullshit. No. Yeah, it's all it's all nonsense. Lies. <laughs> yeah. Lies and bollocks. Blah 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 blah. 
But just to see like the you know the, the Jedi in all their glory, I think it'd be awesome. Just to, you know, there'll be sort of new bad guys to explore because obviously the Sith have been around as well. Right, but so, I thought that when because this is what bothers me about the Rise of Skywalker. Okay, so there was always there's only ever two Sith. There's one master, the, and one apprentice. The ruler two, yeah, 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 the ruler two. Yeah. Then you get to X and boo 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 yeah. in the Rise of Skywalker, whatever it's called, and there's old Palpatine, or strung up, being all machiny and waving his arms about being yeah. being, a, being a bit of a dick, and there's thousands of like Sith supporters. Yeah, that was um. You know? I think that's something else that's going to come out in the books. I think. Better um, bloody well add. Because I, I was told this recently with somebody Star Wars. Sorry, Disney, yeah. when their movies, they, they tend to like, uh, also, you know, since they did the Star Wars stuff, right. they tend to embellish more in the books. So here's your movie, this is the basic plot, and yeah. you need to go out and buy the book. Right, no, I, I get that, I get that, that's cool, I like that. Yeah. But when I, when I watch, <laughs> the other problem I had with The Rise of Skywalker, and it didn't occur to me until I was sat there for five minutes, when Palpatine's in his little machine and he's being held up, mm. I thought, somebody's been watching Hellraiser 2. Yeah, it, like it when Kenneth Branham's held yeah. that kind of thing, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, such pleasures to show you. Yeah. <laughs> and he's trying to be, he's trying to pinhead, pinhead, and you're just thinking, nah, it ain't working. He did have that sort of vibe, didn't he? Yeah. So you have your head ripped off and blah, 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 because you're a bit of a dong, really, aren't you? <laughs> you know? So, yeah, Star Wars High Republic, very excited for that. I don't know how far down the line it's going to be, but very it's excited good. for that. Well, they're going to start, I thought the books. Like they're planning the books to start this year. Yeah, I think it's this year. Yeah, yeah. to start running into like five books a year, maybe. Yeah. So it's maybe every two months or so, every two and a half months, maybe. Well, that's me. My reading for the next few years sorted out. Well, <laughs> lots of you. I'm sure you can read more than one book in two and a half months. And the Jedi. <laughs> what is this big word? Ligatabra. <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> Let's have a track. Te- I'm just teasing you. <laughs> Let's have a track, shall we? Yeah. Okay, so we got a new track by former Game Face singer Jeff Cordill. It's called I Wouldn't Wait. It's out now on the Lamp Light the Fire, a compilation of Quiet Songs, Volume 3, on Engineer Records. Check it out.
This is Roger from Agnostic Front. You're listening to Mass Movement Presents. Okay, so you've watched uh, all the Tarver then? Are you all the way through the season now? Yeah. Uh, Smashed it. How are you feeling about it? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Okay. Um, it was nothing like Broken Angels, the second series, second book in the Kovacs trilogy. Uh, it drew on a few elements, not many, and it involved the Elders, a uh, supposedly extinct extraterrestrial race which, everybody, which humanity takes the basis of their future technology from yeah but apart from that yeah it was nothing like Broken Angels Anthony Mackie was brilliant as Kovac and just when you think oh he's not the ending leaves it open for an act- for another series okay which is fantastic yeah, I, hope, yeah. I hope they renew it with Mackie or oh no no, no. Like, it'll be, no, okay, it'll yeah. be with somebody else because yeah. that sleeve's gone yeah yeah um, just like Joel Kinnaman that sleeve's gone the Mackie sleeve will be on it, so there's no. So, that's so, they've, so, they've... Another, so they'll find another right, okay. Takeshi Kovac for season three. Okay, that makes sense. Story's great. Yeah, it's just a, it, it basically works on every science fiction trope. You know, evil dictator runs planet, must overcome evil dictator with help of aliens, suppressed monsters, blah blah blah. <laughs> it's great. Artificial intelligence. What really constitutes life? Oh, is this what life's all about? <laughs> 
So he missed, he, he missed the book altogether, did he? He just oh, it, it, took it, elements it, of it? Or? It's, yeah, it's, it bears a passing resemblance to the universe that Richard Morgan created. And it, it stars Takeshi Kovach. Yeah. He's the last envoy, and that's about it. Okay. And there's elder beings, and they're on Harlan's world, which is Kovach's home, which is which they're not in the second book. It's just... No, it's not Broken Angels. Was that, wasn't that risky, though? Was that, wasn't that a bit risky doing that? Because, you know, those books are so loved. Um, possibly, but I think what people would say, what the producer of the show would say, and what Richard Morgan would say, the author of the books, is that these are the books, mm. this is the show. Okay. Two are completely different entities. Separate entities, yeah, yeah. Okay. Enjoy them for what they are. And I did. I really did. I, I think it's a really good series. It's like eight episodes long, so it's two less than the first series. Yeah, yeah. Which probably works better as a more condensed arc right it, it feels more like Richard Morgan's universe than the first one the first one was reaching towards and pulling in and, and you know this is our first foray into it the second yeah. one this feels closer to Morgan's universe feels closer to what he created so okay. he's created so the, the, the future of humanity is created and I yeah, I really liked it but I mean that said the Kovacs trilogy is literally my favourite science fiction trilogy of all time yeah yeah um, so they couldn't uh, they'd have to go some way to mess it up right yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, those books are untouchable. I mean, I've written other, I've read Richard Morgan's other stuff, his fantasy stuff. Yeah. Um, and the other books he wrote, the other science fiction novels he wrote, but nothing comes close to Kovacs. And I, every day, every time I see his name pop up, I just want to say, just write me another Kovacs novel, please, for the love of God, just write me another <laughs> Kovacs novel. Yeah. Just, just yeah. one more. Just keep me tight. Because he's so good at what he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even his other books are miles ahead of of, of other writers' stuff, but he is just incredible, and he's not prolific enough for my liking. Okay, too laid back. Get on it. Yeah, it's just like the same thing. A lot of people accuse me of being this. It's like you lazy pricks out writing more, you know. And <laughs> I should, but he's trying to find the time to do it. But yeah, like, so I'm yeah. not a full-time novelist. You know, he's been a full-time novelist since Alter Carbon because you know what you story about, didn't you? I, mean, I think you've told me yeah go on tell me when the film rights got sold straight away to Walter Carbon and it's like Joel Silver one of these yeah. big Hollywood producers phoned him up and he's like nah that's not you and they gave him enough money literally from the sale of that book for him to just become a full time novelist damn not have to worry about anything again that's the dream yeah. and that that's yes, my dream <laughs> I would love for somebody to say you know what this little book compression I quite like this let's buy the film rights here's a five whoa <laughs> <laughs> So all the carbon, that's on Netflix at the moment. Yeah, series two is absolutely fantastic. Check it out. Speaking of classic characters. dive into uh, Judge, Dredd. Judge Dredd a little bit Joe yeah. yeah what was your intro to Judge Dredd seriously yeah the very first issue of 2000 AD seriously yeah wow I've been around that long 1977 yeah because my my aunt uh, used to pick comics up for me on the way home from work that's yeah. how I first started getting into comics so she uh, come to food, food this when we lived in Liverpool so uh, every day she picked up a comic yeah and she saw 2000 AD, mm-hmm. and she picked up that one thing. That was my intro to. Wow. Ah, but Dread has changed. So you, were, you were there from the start. From yeah. 
But I mean, I've dipped in and out since. It's not like I've been, I've been a vehement reader of the prog ever since issue one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't, you know, I, uh, maybe two years up to about seventy nine, and then we moved out to here. Then there's a gap of about three years before yeah. I started reading it fully again, getting it for six or seven years. Another gap of a couple of years, get it for a couple of years, another gap here and there. And I've dipped in and out ever since. I mean, I know about enough of the mythology, I know enough of Dred's mythology. Yeah. This is one of the greatest, he's, one, he's literally one of the greatest characters. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, in the history of comics. Mind and Drew. the beauty of Dredd. Mind Drew's two anthrax. I am. It was. The law. Yeah, yeah, it really was. In the uh, <laughs> late 80s, yeah. I had the picture disc, and it was like, this is cool. And uh, they were included on their merch and all sorts of things. Like, who's this? This is who, who's this dude? I want well, to know more about him. That tour they did in '87, yeah, the Testament support. The actual T-shirts they were selling, the tour T-shirts, was Judge Death on the front. Oh, okay. Anthrax and then a picture of Judge Death. Yeah, and yeah. The dates on the back. And I know because I was there. Said David Tor. <laughs> and the dick who dived off the PA stack. That was you. Yeah. <laughs> That was a challenge in the old St. David's Hall, wasn't it? Oh, that was, uh, it was seen as a challenge to anybody going there. Yeah, to but, it's, but don't. <laughs> it's not recommended. I mean, I got a court, like, but, you know, a catalogue of youthful exuberance has caught up with me now. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, that's how I discovered Judge Dredd through Anthrax. And then right. uh, just went back and uh, had a look at the old 2000, 2000 ADs. By then, you could buy the whole th- sort of... Collecting on the... Yeah, so yeah, 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 all the additional collections. Yeah, yeah, exactly. collections yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that was my intro. He's always been one of those characters I've thought, you know, I've always loved. The beauty of Dread, I think, is that essentially we've made a he- made a fascist into a hero. Yeah. Especially in the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, not so much now in that he's tempered with age. But yeah. he's a, f- you know, because essentially you're living in a fascistic state. Humanity is completely collapsing. You're living in massive mega cities, And the police are judged, jury, and executioner at once. And any violation of the law is punishable by by anything up to death. And this oh. one guy, Dredd, is will not deviate from the letter of the law. Yeah. If you're guilty, you're guilty. He's a fascist. Yes, totally, yeah. And we've made a hero of him. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, it's crazy really, isn't it? Because you wouldn't you know, any other any anybody else like that you wouldn't. Mm. But we shine a light on fascism and using this guy to do it and he's saying this is what the future could be and we're saying oh bring it on embrace it because we like dread <laughs> and the idea is like no 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 yeah. no 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 yeah. no 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 this is what it could be yes 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 let's <laughs> yes 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 bring it on kill people come on kill some more burps we like this we like this a lot yeah because actually it would be horrible yes it would be dreadful to live um, you know it would be dreadful to live in a fascist state which is I think what yeah. we're bordering on at the moment yeah well, yeah yeah, yeah. And there's complete disregard for the rule of law. But Dread is, yeah, I mean, the thing is, always loved reading the stories. Some of the ideas, some of the wonderful ideas come out, like Chopper, you know, the, the um, errant surfer who violates the law and the. Oh, right, yeah, he's yeah. Out of the, yeah. the Angel Gang. Um, but the dark judges are just, that's the kind of stuff that makes you go, oh, yeah. this is so good. Whoever came up with this is just so good. I think it's just it's, good sci fi, isn't it? It's yeah, just... I think it's. Is it, John Wagner and Alan Grant who came up with the doctors, I think so. Sure. Uh, maybe Pat Mills is involved in that. Big shout out to Pat. Hi Pat. Lovely guy. <laughs> no, you know he really is. Pat. Yeah. Um, and you just the way the characters evolved over time is fantastic. It's like you got the two films. You got like Stallone's performance and mm. you got Carl Urban's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I know we'll be coming back to Dread in much more greater depth. Oh yeah. We'll put sure. a whole episode together about, about Dread in the future, but yeah, just yeah. like mentioning it now because I I was I've been reading. I've been reading Dread this weekend. <laughs> it's kind of why it's come up. Um, 
and you get Stone Stallone's take on it when there's lots of lovely touches in that film when you see Hammerstein from the ABC Warriors yeah pop yeah, up. yeah. Uh, and there's and it's all down to Dread versus Rico mm-hmm. you know but that whole takes his helmet off oh yeah yeah. Yeah. and I love Sly right? but that doesn't work no 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 that really doesn't he work. has his place doesn't he yeah he just sounds like him. I've been too long in the boxing ring <laughs> I am the law yeah Carl Urban did you enjoy Carl Urban's I uh... loved Dread yeah I loved Dread I continue to love Dread I think one of the greatest travesties in the last 10 years is there was no sequel to Dread because yeah. Urban no matter what you think about him whenever he gets a role that he really likes or he's really behind he mm. is brilliant with it. yeah I agree McCoy yeah, yeah. He, how good is he as, as Bones in, yeah. in the Star Trek franchise yeah. he's brilliant he's like the standout character in those films yes and as Dread he was just perfect does Dread take his helmet off in the comics no I'm not taking my helmet off exactly, I'm not taking yeah. his helmet off he didn't let his ego get in the way of bringing that character he commits to it doesn't he yeah, yeah. fully and you know the character's the bigger through, than me so, yeah, yeah all the way through he's just yeah this is how Dread this is what Joe would do and it's like, yeah, that's exactly what Joe would do. Yeah. That's exactly how it's been played. And it's just such a brilliant film. And it's one of my favourite films easily in the last 20 years. It did alright in the box office as well, didn't it? So I'm not sure. It wasn't, didn't do great. I think it's not as, bad as good, not as good as they thought you yeah. know, they were hoping. But I um, think if there'd been more promotion, if people had a better yeah. understanding of the character, it should have done a lot better than it did. It really should. Yeah. Because it's one of, the, one of those great science fiction films. It's a great understated science fiction film. I didn't think they made much of an effort to sort of pull new people in. They no. were like, here's a movie for the fans that were already up. Yeah, but it's, it's a proper fanboy movie. It's mm. like, um, yeah. there's a fan there's a fan film called Judge Minty. Right. right. And about, God, it must be five years ago, uh, me, Gav... John, Carrie, and Toz went to uh, Comic Con in Cardiff. Yeah. Like proper comic expo rather than Comic Con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's going to be like this first showing of Judge Minty. Right. The very first showing. Yeah. Reputation sort of proceeded. And it was the first time Gav had met Toz. Right. And so as we went in there, we're like, let's not sit next to Richard when it comes to this film. Yeah. Because you need an out. Why do you need that? You'll see, right? So. Watch this film, and every now and then, Toss goes, Yes! <laughs> he is like the biggest 2000D fan you'll ever meet. I mean, he he lives, breathes, and eats that stuff. Okay. He makes my comic fandom look teeny tiny. Yeah, teeny yeah. tiny, teeny weeny. Yeah, yeah. And it was everything he wanted. Right? So when it came to the Q&A session, Toss is getting stuck in. If you're making the next film, can I be in it? All these sort of questions. Like, and he was just questioned. Bam, 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 bam. Question time. And Gavin and me are like, oh, yeah. And he's just in. You know, and then the, the filmmaker's like, should we be embracing this dude or terrified of him? Because he was there. And that was a fantastic film. It's online now, Judge Minty. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's on YouTube. And the same people made the Strong Team Dog film. All right, yeah, yeah. As well. But back to Dread, yeah, the urban film's fantastic. Yeah. Like I said, we, we'll come back to Judge Dread at another point because that's the, that's a whole episode's worth. It's just like a Dread special. Yeah, we, yeah, um, we do I, a whole Dread I, Yeah, we do a whole Dread episode. Yeah, Definitely sure. get that sorted. Hi there, this is H from Acid Rain and you are listening to the Mass Movement Podcast because you're a sensible, clever, smart individual. There's not many movies out there, remakes, that have ever been better than the first. Yeah, we found one. But, but, well, 
remakes when the remakes better than the original better than the original yeah now my missus would argue vehemently that I am wrong in this okay but I don't care I agree she's wrong because she loves the original so much it isn't even funny okay we're talking about Fright Night talking about Fright Night so Fright Night the latest one how many years ago was it oh maybe four yeah I want to say four. So maybe around two thousand. Because Ant- Ant- Anton Yelkin was yeah. Charlie in it, wasn't he? Of course he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, and he's been dead a long time. Oh, it might, might be longer than that, so it's, yeah. yeah, it's maybe six or seven years old. But yeah, it was better um, than the, uh, the yeah, original. I, yeah. Easily. Yes. Yeah. And I like the original. I must oh, say well, the I like the original just fine. No? Yeah, Chris, yeah. Chris Saren is creepy enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, Colin, what's his face? Colin. Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, that's yeah. Colin Feckin' Farrell. Colin Feckin' Farrell. He was great. <laughs> yeah, he was, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the standout of the film, I, mean, I, I love Roddy McDowell. And, you know, Roddy McDowell, to me, will always be part of my child because of Planet of the Apes. But David Tennant. David Tennant, yeah. Peter Vincent, that is just, yeah. yeah. Just like, look at me. I'm all, I'm all in shit and chinola. It's all shining on <laughs> substance. So what was it that made this better than the original? What was it? Just the be- better um, actors? I or? think, yeah, the acting, the talent's maybe better. I think the film resonated with me more, story-wise. Okay. You actually feel sorry for uh, Ed more this time. Yeah. Charlie's mate. Who yeah, died. for sure. You know, yeah. It gives Ed a reason to be so angry with Charlie Brewster. Yeah, yeah. Because he's basically been abandoned. And it's, I like the idea that, it's a, it's a whole teenage thing where selfishness overcomes everything and your need to be popular and cool dictates the way you behave. And it's not the case with everybody. It's certainly not the case with me, but you can recognise that in other characters and you can understand Charlie's motivation and Charlie, why Charlie wants to be Charlie more in the remake than in the original. Right, yeah, um, yeah. And the idea that um, Colin Farrell is just creepy as all buggery. He's one of those actors, when he, when he turns around... Yeah, he's a really good actor. But he, oh, can, yeah. but he phones in all the time as well. Yeah, it depends. If if it's like, have I got a tax bill coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dial yeah. it in. Yeah. Do I really believe in this film? Yes. Yeah. I'm gonna turn it up to eleven. And this is really, this yeah. one of the ones that oh, yeah, you, you believed in for yeah. sure. Yeah. Mm. I, I'm a big um, soundtracks guy. A movie is made or broken by a soundtrack, okay. and I enjoyed the soundtrack for this. It was uh, Raman Jawadi who went on to do the Game of Thrones soundtrack. Right. Uh, it was one of his earlier pieces and it, it, again it just added to the film for me um, so that was another thing that took it from the original and made this better um, right, but you know soundtracks end story no movie soundtrack will ever be better than Flash Gordon <laughs> and Conan the Barbarian right the Conan soundtrack the Conan know. soundtrack is just superb yeah yeah, yeah. it's the Battle Pop of Duris or Battle yeah. Pop of Lava yeah yeah one from 1980 yeah, the original Arnie version yeah, it's perfect. They just captured a, a moment there. Oh, the music's fantastic, and yeah. Well, I, I, again, Conan. If we get to Conan, we're gonna be here all night because I'm not. I, I cannot get into Conan. That's another episode. It's, no, that's a whole. That is a whole episode. Itself. <laughs> Conan is a proper episode because what 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 I love about Conan and at the moment is that because um, we get some Conan stuff sent through to review occasionally. Yeah. I can properly indulge my fanboy thing. <laughs> yeah. And as I properly indulge it, one of the dudes following us on Twitter because of this. Yeah is a direct descendant of Robert E. Howard. Oh, He's never. like Robert E. Howard's like last living male relative. Wow. And every time one of our Conan reviews pops up, he's all over it. And he's like, yes, yes! That's so cool. boys. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, I, I am a proper Conan fanboy. I make no bones about it. But like, yeah. But anyway, back to Fright Night. 
yes, the the remake is better than the original, and yes, my wife's probably going to beat me to death. Yeah. <laughs> this. But she's yeah. missed the podcast, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So go check them both out anyway. So go check them both out. Friday but... the original, make your own mind up. Friday night, two thousand eleven. It's far we, better. We know where we stand. Yeah. yeah. So. And you know where we stand because it's better. <laughs> okay. Uh, with that, we'll have another track. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna go back to two thousand fifteen. Uh, this is from the Engineer Fifty compilation, Straight Edge Mob from Margate, Canaan, probably one of the best Straight Edge bands UK's ever produced. This is Hollow Sky. This is Igor Cavalera from Peprick, Cavalera Conspiracy, and you guys are listening to Mass Movement Podcast. So you've been lucky enough to uh, sample a new book by uh, Patrick, Patrick Edwards. Edwards, yeah? Yeah, Echo Cycle. Echo Cycle. Comes out uh, 10th of March. On Titan. On Titan Books. 
Oh, it's good. It's it good, yeah. So good, yeah. All right, so, but he's sweet to describe it. Connecticut Yankee King Arthur's Court. Okay. Meets 1984. Wow, okay. That's um, all. So it's a little bit about time travel in ancient Rome and how the ancient Roman Empire is reflected by the way the world is moving now. Yeah. So you've got a direct correlation between the two. But the same time, paints a terrifying sort of vision about how the political situation that we're facing now could be in 50 years' time. Oh, really? It moves Europe and Britain for 50 years in time and how Brexit has directly shut... has has caused Britain to seal itself off from the world. Wow. And almost become... return to a pre-industrial sort of... um, Age? Yeah. Wow, okay. And and whereas we've looked at the past, Europe's looked at the future, it's become become a hyper-evolved super-state. And so it's about Britain trying to find its way in the world again, how how the ramifications of the, what we're facing now affect that. It's just wonderful. It's written in a sort of... Because you've got this sort of jolly vision of, oh, yes, it's Brexit, we're going to be, you know, oh, look <laughs> yeah. our glorious past. It's sort of written in the same kind of language as P.G. Woodhouse. Okay, yeah, yeah. Going on that, the prose is influenced by those sort of novels, and it's just fascinating. Have you read anything else with Patrick Edwards before? No, this is, this is my first... I mean, I will be, because yeah. he's really good. Uh... Hell of a writer. I love what happens. Wonderful characterization and his attention to detail is exquisite. And you can tell this dude loves history because his vision of the Roman Empire and Roman society is just wonderfully yeah. beautiful big canvas. And you know, his his ideas as far as how the future will unfold. Okay. It's scarily realistic. And you think, Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. That could be where we're headed. I do love finding like a, um, an author you're not aware of before. It's just, it's a mind-blowing book. With something so awesome and you think, yeah. oh man, I've got a whole new outlet now. Hopefully he's done oh, 20 well, books I've never heard of. No, he's done, I know this is his second novel. Is that? So you've got yeah. at least one to go back on. That. Yes. Excellent, um, yeah. But he is just remarkable. The tagline is, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah. And um, uh, that's a great way to describe it. But like, to me, it's literally... Uh, Connecticut Yankee King Arthur's Court meets 1984 and it's it's as good as anything Twain or Orwell wrote really? yeah Christ yeah. that's a I mean I'm not a massive Orwell fan some of his work is mind blowing yeah but I'm a huge Twain fan and this is as good as anything Mark Twain wrote because this guy is just too good that's a hell of a endorsement yeah yeah but he's he <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those books when you start reading it, you can't put it and even though you, you're getting involved in this, because there's a, there's a point, there's a point in this book where I'm really, really enjoying this. It's fantastic. It's really good. And then all of a sudden he goes, switch, switches it around that, and you go, no fucking way. Yeah. I can't believe you just done that. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just goes, ah, yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's literally like, oh, all right, okay. Yeah, you got me. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. Excellent. Okay, so check that out. It's on Titan Books. Uh, it's called Echo Cycle by Patrick Edwards. And it's out on well, March 10th. March 10th, yeah. It's fantastic. It's available for pre-order now, so get on it. Just hit it up yep. and order that book. <laughs> if you're looking for the best new bands punk and hardcore have to offer, look no further than Engineer Records, sponsors of Mass Movement Presents. Uh, so uh, the switch-ups are wrestling. 
yeah. we like wrestling. We, we talk love, about wrestling. Oh, we love wrestling. We love wrestling. And we not like each it. other, because, you know, quite <laughs> frankly, Chris would kill me. <laughs> but it's, um, it's nice to see it back on UK TV more right. prominently these days. Yeah. Well, I, what amazed me was NXT UK. It's yeah. now on Paramount. That, that can only be a good addition. When we've got AEW on ITV. Yeah. We've got Ring of Honor. Uh, they're on Fight TV. Uh, if you've got Sky... So, you know, this just adds to it now. I mean, uh, it's nice to see wrestling back in every home. Yeah, um, but it's just the fact that it's it's NXT UK. It's it's a UK promotion. Yeah. It's WWE's UK promotion, yeah. and they're giving, they put as much into it mm-hmm. as they would as, as NXT on the WWE Network. Yeah, um, and they're picking up sort of talent from all over the place. They've picked up talent from Dragon Pro. Like, ooh, Flash Morgan works. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know he's got that, but I... But I was just watching these guys, and they are going. They, I mean, these dudes have so much gas in their tank. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's like watching a great house show because yeah. you're that close to the action. It's not like watching a, a, a SmackDown or Raw or one of those productions because it because it's so much more intimate. Yeah. You just feel like you're part of the action when it's you're watching. It's got a hardcore show vibe. Yeah, but not without it being like hardcore action, just yeah, yeah, devastating moves, incredible athleticism, and, yeah. you know characters where great you know, storytelling yeah and you just got a wonderful sense of pantomime that we you know the because americans do vaudeville yeah they, and i hate to generalize that we it's british wrestling has always been more like pantomime but because it's a wwe project they've given they've boosted the pantomime level with a bit of vaudeville so it's a bit of come on let's ramp it up and you got yes, all these yeah. terrible characters like the mad russian versus the mad scotsman yes i can I, yeah. yes i can thoroughly believe that i can thoroughly that. believe that yeah. you're russian yes i yeah. do you know you're probably from bath but i believe you're russian because <laughs> you've got those funky contact lenses and you do that dreadful rosh and that yeah <laughs> you know, and that i believe that i i bought into it 100 percent and yeah, this is like this devastating sort of um aerial shoulder barge yeah, yeah. And it and this mad rush and it's literally, um, it just reminds me of, I'm really really drunk. And I'm gonna throw myself at the nearest person <laughs> and he charges across the ring and sort of flips himself up so he's facing sideways into the shoulder barge and then twists in midair so he's like bam and just knocks the other guy off his feet and you think, I don't know who that hurt more, you yeah. or him. Yeah. The thing the thing about NXT is it's. Uh, it was meant to be sort of uh, the, the developmental territory well, still, for still, WWE. Yeah, it's still Florida developmental territory. Yeah, but it's yeah. become sort of a thing in its own right now, where it's sort of like like Finn Balor has stepped down from W from Raw and SmackDown to NXT. Yeah. Um, because he's getting more ring time. Uh, he prefers the the people he's involved with. He prefers the people who's doing the background work. Because Triple H has got a, a bit of influence, a lot of influence there. Yeah. So it's become its own uh, sort of, uh, even though it's under the WWE umbrella, it's become its own promotion in some ways. See, Finn Balor, hmm. right, he is, I, mean, I, I saw, I've got the DVD of one of his last matches hmm. for that Scottish promotion. Um, oh, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah. God. Insane Championship Wrestling. Yes, right? yeah, that's it. Right. Before he went to WWE, and he is as a as a big fish in a small pond, mm. he's incredible. Yeah. But he was getting lost, I think, amongst the main roster. Yeah. You have him in NXT when you've got that more intimate feeling, and he works so much better. And with WWE, they're stockpiling the talent so much now that there's there's no room for like these NXT guys. Yeah. They all deserve to go up. A load of them deserve right. to be pushed on. 
there's just no room for him on the main roster at the moment. Right. So th- this promotion is now becoming an entity of its own, and people are now going going over to NXT rather than Raw or SmackDown. Right, and it's like AEW. Okay? Yeah. So you've got AEW is basically taking over from WCW. Yeah. But you get, I so I'm thinking, oh my god, it's going to be as cheap as sort of WCW's dying days when the moves just like, oh really? Yeah, yeah. But it's not. No, it's it's not. really good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a cage match between Cody Rhodes and somebody, oh, God. Yeah. And Cody Rhodes did that moonsault off the top of the cage. Yeah. And I'm thinking, there's no way you would have done that in WWE. There's no, no way that, but because this is your promotion, you're running with the ball. You've got the right to doing everything you want to do. If that was an example of somebody putting their heart, soul, and body into it. Yeah. Then. It was just, and you, it's God, what? Yeah. And some of the moves these. The younger guys are pulling off because they've got guys that are 22, 23. Yeah. I mean, what's his... Uh, Luke... What's his from Riverdale who died? Oh, Luke Perry. Yeah, his son, yeah. His son, yeah. isn't it? Jungle yeah. Boy. Jungle Boy, yeah. And you're looking at like 22, 23-year-old guys being given their break. And they... Because they know they're being given their big break, they are going at it like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. And some of the stuff they're pulling off, you just start there going, oh, yeah. Because there's been some criticism from all wrestling heads, mm. sort of, um, the AEW... They're too small. A lot of them are too small. Jungle Boy being one of them. Right. I mean, he's a, he's a skinny slip of a lad, isn't he? Yeah, but, but that's like what cruiserweight wrestling. You know, it's, hmm. it's, it's, it's yeah, got a long established tradition. Yeah. You know? And people love the underdog story as well. Like you know, put him against some monster. And the Lucha Brothers in AEW. You seen those guys go? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, my only criticism of AEW at the moment, and it's still in the early days. I mean, they're yet less yeah. oh, about a year old, is that they're not building. Uh, Heels and baby faces. There's no definite. Everybody's well, cheering everybody at the moment, and I think it's just that's because that... they're still trying to find their feet in every exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, you've got like the heel faction led by Jericho is just fantastic, and Jericho just being a dickhead. Yeah, is, is marvelous. But know? also, yeah, that Spacking makes him down the ring with his with, with a glass of champagne. Yeah, <laughs> his body. You just think, yeah, you know. Tony, calling Tony Sh- Tony Shavani. <laughs> he was a shut it ski of him. Uh, yeah. But, but like I, I told you, I met Jericho, yeah, and he looks sort of average size compared to a lot of yeah, rest, yeah. Right? You meet Jericho, and you're thinking the camera is telling lots and lots of lies. Yeah. Because Jericho's getting huge. He's maybe four or five inches taller than me. Is he really? Yeah. So he's. Six two six three. Yeah. He looks like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he is stacked like yeah, a tank. Yeah. And yeah, and he's he's a pleasant enough guy. Yeah. Doesn't suffer fools gladly. So, <laughs> you know, be careful the way you you. you uh, yeah, I I feel that about him, but. Uh... But when he warms to you, he's really nice. He's really sweet. But he's it takes a while for him to warm to new people. I mean, he's a uh, he's late late forties now, and he's still got he can still prod a hell of a match. Forty nine. Yeah. Because he's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's 40-40. Like, he must be, yeah. But he can still probably have a match and tell a hell of a story. Yeah. Um, and that's what that's what will make him one of the top one five of the greats. who's ever done it. Yeah, well, absolutely. He is one of the greats now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. I, I, I'm I just so happy that NXT UK is on TV and you've got yeah. AEW. And I, I'm thinking, I don't have to pay massive amounts of money to, to BT Sports. I don't exactly. have to pay massive yeah. amounts of money to Sky Sports. Yeah. You can shove it right up your ass. And do you know what? I don't. I haven't got time to watch a three-hour wrestling show every every week. Right. Like Raw is at the moment. Yeah. Three hours is ridiculous. That's a pay-per-view. 
Yeah. Let's get your friends around once a who month. Da- who has got time to watch yeah. any three-hour show? No. Nobody's got time to watch it. So, uh, their hour shows, or whatever they're doing, yeah. AEW and NXT, that's just perfect. Well, AEW's like a two-hour show on a Friday night. Yeah. At the moment. But, but, but NXT's an hour. Yeah, it's just that's, perfect. That's you can perfect copy time. it, come in from work, and just watch it before the rest of your family come in moaning and like, exactly. talk about wanting to watch some dreadful reality TV. Yeah. You know, and then you think, oh... I'll just go upstairs and hang myself then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm not watching this fucking crap. So yeah, check out uh, NXT UK uh, if you haven't already. It's on yeah. Paramount now in the UK. Yeah. Check it out before some entertainment. And AEW. And AEW well. on ITV4. Yeah. Killing it. So, me and Tim come from a particular time. Me more than Tim. Tim. <laughs> Tim's older. <laughs> so, a big... So it's like swirly fog coming in. Back in the mist of time. <laughs> yeah. Mid-90s was... Victory Records yeah. were massive. Yes, they were. People would go in... I knew at least four people who would just... Any Victory um, release, release would, yeah. they would just go and buy it. Regardless mm. if they'd hear it or not. It yeah. was just they go into the local record shop. Oh, yeah, 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 victory! Give it to me. I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> they were they had that good a reputation. Yeah. Uh, they were built by uh, built up by Tony Victory. Tony Brummel, yeah. Tony Brummel. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, well, they may be brought down by him as well. They have been though. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the label's been sold. Yeah, it's now part of one of the biggies. Cleopatra. Which is part of somebody else. Sony or something. Like that. Yeah, it's, it's yeah, like, it's uh, one of the biggies, isn't it? Yeah. But you couldn't fault Victory in their day. No. You could fault them. You do? Uh, roster-wise, no. Yeah, okay, go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Roster-wise, yeah, they are. Roster-wise, no. Absolutely not. Yeah, they were um, faultless roster-wise. Yeah. Let's run it. Well, let's do it. Snapcase, Earth Crisis, Integrity. Cause for Alarm. Cause for Alarm. High Five Warzone. The, Warzone. High Five and the Road Burners. Yeah. Baby Girl Paul. Yeah. Electric Frankenstein. Electric Frankenstein. Oh, man. Just all Blood for Blood. Blood for Blood, yeah. So. God damn. You, you, they were just <clears throat> in the day back then oh boy, boy yeah boy sets fire yeah so uh, what happened I mean they sort of right so I mean there was a period when I was when I was literally doing victory interviews every week yeah so I was talking to some great bands um, and they're still some of my favourite interviews like mm. Keith Burkhoff of course for long is yeah one of, the, one of my favourite interviews of all time Nathan Gray from um, boy sets fire okay one of my favourite interviews of all time really yeah because Nathan was, was Proper sweetheart, he's a lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. Then I had the electric Frankenstein was to be do. Um, just just about everybody on Victory I've been interviewed at some point, and then I interviewed Tony Brummel, which was. You spoke to my, Tony himself, did you? Yes, I did. Wasn't one of my favorite interviews ever. So there's been lots of you know rumor about him. Yeah, yeah. I uh, can't quantify anyone. No. I, I won't. No, no. But in your experience, was it? It, it was a, just a bad, bad interview experience for you. Uh, was it? Yeah. Overridden by arrogance and a sense of self entitlement, maybe you know. Really? When was this then? When, when did you uh, interview? Ninety nine, I want to say. Two thousand, maybe. Okay. And it was just one of the best, one of the best experience. It wasn't the best experience. No. It wasn't <laughs> one of my favourites. <laughs> I've had quite a few like that, but Tony Brown was one of them. Yeah. Um, and I think, from my point of view, with yeah. victory. I think they stepped outside their comfort zone and tried to stay completely relevant and move forward. Not relevant, but sort of embrace what the scene 
was moving with, like what the kids wanted rather than what they were good at, sticking to what they were good at. Yeah, okay. Um, if they'd stuck to just smashing amazing hardcore and just, you know, smashing yeah. hardcore, they'd be still be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah. Now yeah. I think they're a spent force. They just, yeah, there's just nothing about the label that interests me apart from Reverend Horton Heat. Yeah, they're sort of, they're just looking at the emu around there. It's just not sort of... Uh, it was just wall to war, wasn't it? Good bands before. Yeah. Uh, like I said, you know... The, was, do you think hardcore changed? And, like, you know, they tried to change with it? Or was it... I just... I think everything changed. Everything's cyclical. Yeah, everything yeah. Everything goes in cycles. And they just went with what was popular mm. and tried to follow trends rather than sticking to what they were good at. Yeah, yeah. And that's been their downfall. I think they wanted to make money. It became about money and not... So they it wasn't a passion. passion it wasn't yeah. about passion anymore. It's just about making money. Okay. I mean that's my personal experience and yeah, or my opinion. Um, you think with the nineties coming back around? I mean everything's nineties in the moment. Everything's, you know, fashion's nineties and you know the, the music is going back that way as well. Yeah. And I wonder if they, like, you know, they think they phone up their old friend like, Dwayne, been a long time. How are you doing? Not gonna happen. No. Absolutely. Because music changed as well. Yeah. yeah, but look, it's not like. They're gonna phone Andrew from Strife, and Andrew's gonna go, "Yeah, I want to release a record with you, when I can release it on my own label and keep my integrity." And that's the other thing, yeah. People are wanting their own their own music. Now. Yeah, but it's it's not just that. I mean, I think you know when you look at people like Andrew from Strife, and yeah, and Strife and stuff. He is one of those dudes who's just maintained his belief and his total integrity in everything he does. He yeah, is yeah. not. He's never deviated from who he is. He's never changed. He's never. It's never. It's not about money for him. It's about passion. It's about love. All you gotta do is look at Bertolt City, and yeah. the rest of the output on War Records. That dude just loves hardcore. Yeah, yeah, that's and right. And that makes you love him even more. Yeah, he does even more. Yeah. Andrew Klein is one of the good guys. He really is. I Go firmly on. believe that. Top three victory records. Records. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, just one top three. Uh, top three. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, living in exile, blood for blood. Yeah. Revenge on society, blood for blood. Yeah. <laughs> and um, shit, this is toughy. Wine, women, and sin, high five, the road burners. Okay. Yeah. I'd go. It's in no particular order. No. Uh-huh. One truth, strife. Of course. I'd go. Humanity's the devil. Integrity. Yeah. I'd go revenge on society, blood for blood. Yeah. See, I. To me, I, I'm not a massive integrity fan. I, I understand their appeal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've always kind of left me cold. It's okay. always going to be like, oh, really? That's what all the hype's about? Before... Dark heart of hardcore, let's all be black <laughs> and evil. You, know, you imagine people around the cold and <laughs> mixing eyeballs and spells and potions and shit, because Dwid told us to make some dark <laughs> yeah, magic. Yeah. He has got this, uh, this strange thing about him, Dwid, hasn't he? You know, Dwight. Yeah. Yeah. He's become like, almost like a cult sort of uh, cult of Dwight. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd go with that because he's a bit of an odd character. The nineties output was outstanding, um, and they still do the odd good song, but you listen I, to I, an album really, for one or I two just, good songs. It just that. leaves me cold, man. It just absolutely really. Me, yeah, because I mean I like a bit of metalcore as much as the next chap, mm. but if I I, I want to hear passion and sort of you know, anger and energy in the song, which okay. is why strife means more to me than integrity ever would. I see, yeah, yeah. And why um, cause for alarm means more to me than snapcase ever would. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's my sort of hardcore deal. I know it's different for you because we've got that that sort of five year gap. 
it's, 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 it's all important. It's, fight yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, a yeah. massively yeah. important yeah. fight. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. about when you discover something and when you discover hardcore. I mean, I, cause I discovered it when I was like 14 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know if that's sad or not because I'm like 40, 40 <laughs> now. I think it's brilliant. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, yeah. And you're gonna be with this movie the rest of your life, man. You know, so that's so sad, isn't it? Yeah. No, I I'm, gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a broke ass hardcore <laughs> yeah. for the rest of my life who ends up taking an overdose and doing himself in. Okay, on another note, let's play another track. Uh, this is Wake the Dead. We like these guys. They're on Engineer Records. This is called Paradise. Can you tell me why? This is H from Acid Rain, and you are listening to the Mass Movement Podcast. Good idea, that. I heartily endorse this podcast. So when you were 14, mm-hmm. did you ever envision being in a band? Yeah. I, I played my first band when I was 15. And that, so that band came to fruition with Charlie's Family Crisis, isn't it? Oh, no, I was in bands before Charlie's. Were you really? Yeah. yeah. Okay, then. I was a bass player before I was... Right, okay. Before Charlie's. 
Let's talk about Charlie's Family Crisis, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So right. your demo, uh, for those who don't know, Charlie's Family Crisis existed from 93 to 97? Yeah. On the South Wales scene. Kind of like... we talk, I was talking to Ian about this, Ian Pickens, mm. uh, another member of Charlie's Family Crisis. Yeah. You kind of fell in that period when there wasn't much going on. It yeah. was the arse end of one scene... One yeah. one particular period, and there was a little gap before the next one kicked in. Cause yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah. We were sort of saying, like, so that period you existed, there was a big lull in Cardiff. You literally had uh, Cowboy Killers. Sorry, uh, you had Full Out Word, mm. and you had Disco Assassins. Yeah. Uh, you'd occasionally have Rectifying Cowboy Killers come down. Yeah. So they weren't, they weren't much else for you to feed off. No. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you kind of, like... You ended up sort of falling into that sort of void that was there. If you'd been, if you'd moved forward like two, three years, you'd have been gigging with more involved in that South Wales scene. Yeah, I mean we we played a shitload of shows, but of merit. I mean the biggest shows we played were Alice Donut. Yeah. Played them, played with Lagwagon, played with Rectify. We played with Stereophonics before they were the Stereophonics. Oh, that's mental, see. Um, when they were the Tragic Love Company. But see, that doesn't that's that says a lot about the scene back then. You wouldn't have necessarily. We just, literally we just hopped on any bill we could get on. Yeah, yeah. We we played with any bands we could. Because there probably weren't many other punk bands around then. No, I mean the closest in our area was Peach Fuzz, and they were sort of more in the vein of. Uh, teenage fan club. Yeah, yeah. And so yeah. that's sort of the Wipers, that that kind of yeah. thing. Um, and they're still around now, and they are so good. Yeah. So yeah, we played a lot of shows. Uh, we recorded some songs, and we had a good laugh, and yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to catch you in uh, Pencoid, uh with Cripes. <laughs> one, oh. one of the, one yeah. of the, like maybe twenty people through the door that night. Yeah. yeah uh, that was that was a fun show, for all sorts of <laughs> wrong reasons. Okay. Um. Because Cripes... They're from Bristol, yeah? Yeah, yeah, they were all pretty good people. All bar one. Okay. Who was a monumental bellend. And he spoiled Uh, the rest, yeah? Yeah, because he pissed and moaned about the fact that he was having to play a pub in Pencode. And uh, last week I was in Germany playing with 500 people. Well, playing 500 people here, so I just... And, you know, you're not going to pull that in Bristol even, so just find your neck in, pal, and just... God, you know, that's true. Because they took all the door money that night. Um, I don't know. Ian will be able to tell you better because he dealt with them more. Because like, he's got more patience than the rest of us. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it was just it was Charlie's was fun. You know, it started we, when we started. We were called cause for concern, and I'd come back from America, so I was still in university. Okay. At the time the band started, and um, so what was the original band? It was yourself on vocals. Yeah. Ian Pickens on bass. Yeah. Um, Lee Thompson on guitar, yeah. Darren on guitar, and some guy called Oz as the drummer. Okay. And then Oz and Thompson quit the same week, so we were looking for a new guitarist and a new drummer. So uh, we got Pixie, who I'd known from Portugal for years. Yeah. Um, who was some sort of weird goth chap. <laughs> longer. And Steve's lovely, but he's... <laughs> <laughs> he's just you know, six foot four, look like Joey Ramone, but bigger. Okay. And... Tougher and just like <laughs> so it was Pixie who then joined the guitar and Chug became our drummer. Okay. Um and that was line that lineup lasted maybe eighteen months. I wanna say eighteen months. And beginning ninety three into 
94, maybe not quite 18 months. Yeah, maybe around 18 months. And then Chug left okay. to go and play heavy metal with a band called Cruel Eye. Okay, <laughs> Cruel Eye? Yeah, right. don't even go there. Okay. Um, because whose singer, Alex, whose greatest claim to fame was he robbed, he lived in Canelli. Yeah. And he robbed the post office in Canelli. Oh. And decided he was going to do a run around foot, but everybody in Canelli knew him. <laughs> <laughs> so he went down. And, so yeah, Chug was playing with Cruel Chug left to play with Cruel and we got a guy called Nathan in on drums. And Nathan went on to play with Douglas. Yeah. And then we became Doug. Yeah. And that's when we played like the Alice Donut stuff. We did a lot of shows in the stage door and places like that. And Nathan left. Uh, and Yestin was in for a couple of weeks. So it's just a spinal tap thing, really. Yeah, with drummers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So, yeah, so Nathan left. We had Yestin in for a couple of weeks. Um, But Yestin had a substance abuse problem. (laughs) And used to nod out in practice. And then, who was after that? Yeah, then we got Sean. Yeah. And uh, Sean was awesome. Okay. Absolutely incredible drummer. But by then, it had been it was done, was it? No, 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 not by any. No, okay. We kept soldiering on, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> you know, that's for punishment, like. And we recorded our next demo with Sean. Yeah. While with Sean was with us, we did things like the like uh, the Clanchester Festival, and we yeah. played with Lagwagon, and just played a lot of shows here, there, and everywhere. And then Sean left. I don't know. What we, I don't remember the reason. I, it's unimportant completely and then Mark joined good, good. so um, Mark liked to play really fast which I liked so it made everything really fast then we went off playing with bands at Rectify and we played outside the South Wales and did Dudley and places like that but by then I think everybody's sort of influences were, were completely different and we'd been doing it for so long they were just completely pissed off with each other yeah 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 you know pissed off with the fact that we were still playing the same sort of house parties and sort of my little club shows and we weren't getting shows which we thought we should be getting and right. you know should we be getting the shows I I, uh, I don't know I mean I would have liked to have played a lot more bigger shows that I liked to play that play it. would have liked to have played outside the area and everybody just got fucked off with each other <laughs> and we played the buffs one night uh, ironically it was the same when we played with Jeff Kiljohn well okay um, later went on to become Bullet Boy Van Dyke. Yeah, but they threw their toys out of the pram. You know, they were a cover band, and they're all one. They're all men. Literally threw his toys out of the pram. The boys forgot to headline. The boys were fucking fair enough. You fucking headline. We'll drink. <laughs> and um, so they did, and it was just like we knew it was done that night. Yeah, yeah. It was literally off. Like that's it. It's done. And after four years. The sum total in the band fund. Yeah. Uh, was enough when it was split between us. <laughs> To get a Chinese meal. Yay! So me and them. And you say it's not worth doing. Me and them, after four years of my <laughs> fucking blood, sweat, and tears of playing shows in the nip, yeah. of being knocked out playing shows and all sorts of things, <laughs> um, I had enough to get a Chinese meal. That's brilliant. Like 20 quid. <laughs> That's brilliant. Uh, so this yeah. Is a documentary about you. Oh, mate. In <laughs> stories. The stories we could tell, some of the shitholes we played. <laughs> we played a farm up some goddamn beaten track, and I don't know why we were playing it. Ian would be able to tell you why we were playing. So we, it was literally we went up this dirt track that 
middle of the night up to this barn. Yeah. And we went in there, and there's a generator running. There's all these sort of kids, like, I mean, talking 15, 16 years old, all passed out from all cheap cider. Yeah, yeah. And this nasty hippie weed. And it was a, there was shit encrusted all over the walls, like pig excrement and all that kind of nice. stuff. And so we set up, we played, and we got the fuck out. And we, you know, that, and that wasn't an uncommon occurrence to yeah, play yeah. shows like that. I mean, you know, like not shit across the place. We played like house shows, and yeah, it was, it, it was fun. I had a good yeah, time, yeah. and you know, uh, we, we, we were full exuberance and all that. Yeah, I think we were, we became better at drinking than we were playing music, and we <laughs> more shit about drinking than we were, did about Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's probably why we had the same. As Ian will say, it was probably why we had the same 15 song set for all those years. Yeah, and you know we changed stuff up. There were different songs came in and songs got dropped. Then, but it wasn't too much later after '97 that the project scene really kicked off, didn't it? Yeah, and you bring gigs on under the mass movement banner. Yeah, Johnny Phillips started putting gigs on, didn't he? Yeah, well Johnny started putting gigs on with me. Oh yeah, sorry, that's right. Yeah, yeah he's put on with you. Yeah. And yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, you had, there was a host of bands played there, wasn't there? It? It was, um, yeah, we had everyone from Buried Alive, we had Smugglers. Stamping Ground. St- we put Stamping Ground on a few times. Yeah. Um, yeah, but on loads of bands. Yeah, and then, you know, obviously there's the bands who emerge from Bridgend and the area as well. Yeah. Like, so, like, like Bullet. Yeah. And Funeral for a Friend. Yeah. For there from around that area. Well, Matt from Funeral for a Friend. Um, I met Matt because he used to write a scene called Third Engine. You see, what was he called Third Engine? That's how I met Matthew. Third so, Engine was Matt from. Yeah. No Funeral. way. Yeah. So Matt was doing his thing called Third Engine. Yeah, maybe that. And he, so we bumped into each other because I was doing mass movement. So yeah. he was. Uh, so we just started hanging out and stuff, and I was doing. We were doing a distro. And <laughs> funniest stories about Matt uh, was when he completely lost his shit the first time he read a review of Third Engine. Yeah. And we're in Club Evo Barker one of these old days that DT used to put on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so we had the distro then, I was on the new issue of Mass Movement, and Matt had just done third engine number one, so I think third engine number two was coming out, yeah. and he'd sent a copy to Terry Lever, who was doing a scene called Waxface. I don't know so Terry Waxface, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So Terry Lever becomes Terry Waxface, yeah, yeah. he's the, yeah, so... Anyway, this this review of Third Engine, which Matthew flips up, and this is review of Third Engine, and um, it just goes into great detail about why it was shit. Like, <laughs> and it finishes one of the greatest taglines I've ever seen. It yeah. just went, Third Engine, indeed. <laughs> and Matt <laughs> lost his shit. Bang! Did he? Yeah, 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 completely. But you can understand why, because it was a passionate thing, and he didn't know what he was doing, he was putting it together, because nobody knows what they're doing at first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Yeah, so that's why in the next issue of Third Engine, he ran a competition, win a date with Terry Waxface, because he wanted to know how right. to get back. And I said, well, let's do, you want to get back to Terry, do this. Yeah, yeah. Win a date with Terry Waxface. Give Terry Waxface away as a pe- as a, as a competition prize. <laughs> right? Do to him what he's done to you, essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? But do it, like, don't be a dick about it, because it's not meant meanly. He wasn't being unnecessarily yeah, yeah. cruel to you. He yeah. was just pointing out how you can improve something, which is what you should notice. Hmm. So in addition, you just... Sell Terry Waxface as a date, and who John Evans won the date with Terry Waxface, and to this no day, way. to this day, right, John has not had his date with Terry Waxface. Oh my God, that's crazy. Mm. Yeah. That's so these are just odd little stories. So yeah, yes, yeah. funeral, uh, bullet for my Valentine, yeah. stereophonics, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sort of tied in, Damn and man. we sort of uh, thread, through the, thread <laughs> through the middle of the whole yeah, bloody yeah. thing. Yeah. 
and we're just one of those often forgotten stories. Like Charlie's Family Crisis is one of those often forgotten stories. Like when people see these pictures, oh, I remember that. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah, yeah. This. Oh, I've seen the stickers and blah, blah, blah. And we are an odd footnote in history. <laughs> Well, let's, uh, check, let's, let's check who goes out. Yeah, all right. So here's a track called Philosophy with a Junkie. Uh, hope you enjoy it. <laughs> There you go. That was Charlie's Family Crisis from as we were back then, twenty odd years ago. <laughs> and at least in my years, I think he's aged all right. You think? Yeah, I think I was expecting a car crash. And, <laughs> and, uh, well, that's nice to know. <laughs> and he's uh, yeah, I thought it was, I thought Charlie's it was Family Crisis. You're not as bad as I thought you. Yeah. Did. That's quite a that's, that's, that's go. Up stuff. You're not as bad as we thought. You should put did. all the songs together, and that's what you call the compilation. Yeah. Not as bad as you thought it would be. <laughs> Hi, this is James from Widows, and you're listening to the Mass Movement Podcast, you lucky devils. Okay, so as we mentioned before, we got to have a chat with probably one of the UK's leading lights uh, in hardcore at the moment, uh, Malevolence. Tim caught up with them just about to release their new EP, The Other Side, which is out on April 24th. Here's what they had to say. So so let's start at the beginning then. Um, Even though it's a story you've probably told a, a thousand times already, do you want to tell us a bit about the band's history? The how, when, and why did Malevolence get together? Yeah, yeah. So um, I joined Malevolence about uh, ten years ago this year. Okay. Uh, we've been we've been mates ever since we were kids. Um, like when we, we we all went to prim- same primary school. Um, and the guys uh, had already started a band. Well, they'd already started Malevolence, um, and they'd been going for about two years, two three years before I joined. Right. Playing sounds like lo- locally and stuff like that. Um, and then they had some lineup rearrangements, and uh, I was just, I just went in. I, I already knew Charlie quite well, so I hit him up, and I was like, oh, um, "Yeah, do you, can I come and can I come and try out?" Right. Went down. Um, had an absolutely terrible audition. Just <laughs> literally just made some noises down the microphone. Didn't really know what I was doing, but then, uh, and then it kind of grew, uh, and they were just like, "Yeah, you might as well join." <laughs> and then uh, after um, after I joined, it was uh, we started taking things a bit more seriously, like actually trying to record proper music and uh, playing shows out out of town, um, and kind of just built up our like our fan base from the ground up. Didn't really take any uh, jumps or anything. Just we uh, we we recorded an, e- an EP that never saw the light of day. But somehow everybody ended up having, <laughs> um, and it, yeah, and then it just grew and we. 
recorded the first album in 2013. Yeah. And then off the back of that album, we went on to, to uh, went on to tour the US and tour most of Europe on that album. Uh, and then we did the second album in 2017, which has just taken us even further, taking us to newer places. Um, right. So yeah, that's a that's a brief. <laughs> <laughs> so as names go. Yours is a direct statement of musical intent. You couldn't get more blatant than that. Was that the reason you chose it? Was that, did that have any bearing? On, you know, did that have any bearing on the reason you chose the name? Um, the the name that was actually chosen before I joined. So right. It was, uh, it was uh, chosen by our drummer Charlie, um, and I think he was. I think it was obviously when we were quite when they were quite young. So he was just looking through the dictionary looking for a cool word, and it literally, literally how it how it came about there's no uh, there's not really a cool story but I just really just well, it's like fortuitous it sounded cool <laughs> well it's like fortuitous circumstances because it describes the band perfectly you know you know, it's just that's what you expect that's what you hear you, you know what I mean there's no yeah. it's, it's just like a Batram Ram name for Batram Ram music so <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you're about to drop your th- this is your third record yeah Um, the other side yeah yeah, yeah it's, uh, yeah. Do you so do you see see this as another step in in the band's continuing musical evolution or a continuation of the blueprint you laid down with self supremacy? Uh, I see it as a step in a, a slightly different direction. I think we've kind of tried to push ourselves a bit out of our comfort zone on this one. Right. Um, but we, we we mainly wanted to focus on just getting a short body of work out there whilst we focus on the next album. Um, okay. To keep things rolling, get, keep keep the energy levels going. Um, so we tried to like challenge ourselves a bit on this record, like obviously with the self releasing. Yeah. Um uh, everything everything has basically been ourselves in house, you know, and we've like curated a good team around us to, to put out this record. Like we only come to that the artwork. Uh we had Ellie Ren cancel stuff like Soulfly and Hatebreed, um uh uh, Carl over at Treehouse Studios has been a blessing Valentine, so we, you know, we, we, we kept stepping things up and taking it to the next level, but whilst also keeping it malevolent, if, right. if that makes sense. No, it, it makes perfect sense. So why did you choose to self-release this? Is, is, are you going to self-release the next album as well? Is it something you're, you're looking at doing from now on? Um, at the minute, we're just kind of seeing where things go. Um I've never, I've never ruled out going onto a bigger record label. Again. Right. Um, but for the time being, it was just the, it was the most obvious choice. We, we just wanted to have full creative control um, and just you know, basically fund everything ourselves and just see if we could actually do it as well. And because uh, obviously we've been on two different labels before with the last two albums. And, yeah. Um, we, so we kind of had an idea of what we needed to do, and uh, we just thought, yeah, it made most sense for a short body. That like a three-track EP, let's just do it ourselves. Um, and there was a bit like, we, we we talked about it a little bit, and well, a lot. And um, yeah, it's just it, for, for for the time being, and like for where we are now with the band, it is the most logical choice. Okay, so I mean, because it helps you retain complete control over absolutely every step of everything that you do, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. We've always been one of these bands that is very we like we we we're, we're very independent. We like having control over everything. Yeah. Right. That's just always how we work. Which just seems the perfect uh, medium for you then. So, yeah. what sort of lyrical themes and subject matter have you focused on and explored with the other side? Um, so, we've, each song is different, really, in its, right. own, in its own way. Um, 
and I've, the way we've kind of wrote the lyrics is um, I like to have the lyrics kind of open to interpretation to okay. such because I think that's one of the best things about music is uh, the same song can mean ten different things to ten different people you know what I mean so yeah, yeah, yeah. But I like to think the, the general message behind the, each song is quite clear. So, for example, Keep Your Distance um, is literally about the people that will drag you down, bring any negative energy into your life, have nothing positive to, to contribute. Yeah. And it's just all about pulling yourself away from that, which I think is very important, in, especially in a time like in the current climate that we find ourselves in. Oh, yeah. Um, and... The second song, Remain Unbeaten, that was, again, it's quite, I think that's quite clear. It's just, no matter what life throws at you, you just got to keep your head down and crack on and remain unbeaten. And I think that is, whatever whatever challenges someone is facing, I will hope that they can listen to that song and just take away some like motivation and inspiration from it to actually, you know, keep that, that, that mentality of remaining unbeaten. And, right. Um, and the third song was uh, so when we wrote the, when we Josh wrote the music for this one. Obviously, it's it's quite a different song to the other two, a lot more melodic. So we need we wanted to kind of push ourselves out of our comfort zone as well when it came to the lyric writing and maybe write about something a bit more personal about love loss and stuff like that. Yeah. But again, leave it in, open to interpretation uh, for the listener and let them take away what they what they need from that song because I think. At the end of the day, that is the most important thing about music is that it has kind of a, something you can take away with from it, whether it be an emotion or a feeling or, um, you know, a message, then that's that's what I aim to do with the lyrics. So it is good. There's a, there's a bit of everything, uh, and it's a, but it is kind of, you know, the, me- the, the general message behind each song, I think, is quite clear. Okay, so you've got Brian Garris from Knock Loose. Um, adding his voice to keep your distance. So, how did that collaboration come out? Come about? So we've known those guys for a while. Um, I've been listening to Not Loose for quite a few years yeah. uh, before they obviously got to the heights that they are now. And when we toured the US in 2016, they, a couple of their, their guys came out to one of the show, um, and we we met them and like we hung out for a bit, and then we just kept in touch ever since. And since then, we've played a few festivals and a few short runs together. And then, uh, so we hit each other, I hit Brian up and I was like, it was literally just a, an Instagram message, I said, no, do you want to jump on the, uh, do you want to jump on this new record? I'm only, I only want one guest vocalist and it, it'd be sick to have you on it. And he was, he was game, he, he literally recorded it the day before we went on tour with him, just before New Year. Right. Um, and then when we were on the tour, we just happened to have our friend Elliot Ingham uh, there, who was filming for Not Loose, and we just said, well, hey, while we're all here, let's let's just film a video for it, and it it just came together very organically, and it was literally just a case of mates hitting up mates. Um, there, was no, there was no management or anything getting in the way of things. And that's how I like to do things, just kind of straight to the point. Like yeah, DIY, um, keep keeping it keeping it underground and keeping it you know the way it should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And at the end of the day, we're we're we're, we're all like we're really good mates. We're not loose, so it was just a case of you know let's just do it. Like there was no. Uh, Everyone was involved and everyone was game for it. Okay, so you mentioned the video. I was going to ask you about that because this is the second. Keep your distance is the second video from the EP because Remain Unbeaten's also been filmed. It's the that's the first one. Was it? Um, Remain Unbeaten is the second video. Yeah. 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 Okay, so uh, the whole process of recording videos it seems to be like you hit the ground running with 
uh, self supremacy, and you started making a couple of videos there. Is that something you you know you've got a taste for, and it's we can expect to see more of them from you? Uh, absolutely, yeah. Right. Making the music videos is probably one of my favorite things to do. Um, I just I, I kind of like my love of my videos because I don't really know any other bands in our scene that are making videos like we are. Right. Um, and it, I think it's like especially like. Creates a bit, a bit of a talking point sometimes with our videos. I, I remember like Slave to Satisfaction video that was kind of a talking point because of the content of the video. Right. Um, but I like to kind of get really involved in the uh, in like the directing process when it comes to the videos. So I'll be like on I'll be there for every single bit of shooting and kind of like telling uh, the camera guy like or or like working with the camera guy and telling them how to how I want something to look and. Um, yeah, I think we just we, we we all really enjoy making the videos because end of the day that's that's I think that's the the quickest way that people find out about your music and if you if your videos a bit like a bit of a hot topic or something to talk about then even better. Yeah. Okay, so you guys recently toured Australia, didn't you? Because there's those yeah. hate six uh, shows your film films your shows have been popping up. Did you ever think in the early days of the band that you'd end up halfway around the world playing shows to a, a bunch of rabid hardcore kids? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, I thought, it was, you know, I, I never, I never really had any expectations, and I'm still kind of amazed at some of the things that we've got to do through doing this band. I'm very grateful for the opportunities that we've been given, 100%. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got got to see places that I've always wanted to see and do things that I've always wanted to do, but then also experience a bunch of different things which I never thought I would even, you know, get the chance to see different cultures, see different scenes, meet new people. I've made a bunch of friends from it, so it's it's crazy to, to think like and look back on the last ten years of what we've actually accomplished so far, and just to think, what else can we do in the next ten years as well? So, okay, yeah, so it's crazy. Because you I mean you've been out there and you've seen a lot of the world now. So do you think, from your perspective, um, that the hardcore scene has changed since Malevolence started playing shows, and do you think those changes have been positive for the scene or been detrimental to it? cycles to be honest like right. i think there's there's different things that have, have like happened obviously when when we were playing when we first started playing shows we were playing more like melodic death metal and, and then I, it was kind of we started jumping on a few hardcore shows and kids liked it and then the things that were popular then like back in like 2010 yeah and now starting to become more popular now Sorry, like different styles of riffs and fashion sense and stuff like that. I think it all kind of goes in circles. But I think, I think right now, in general, the like the underground heavy music scene in the UK is actually quite strong. You've got a lot of kids that are coming out and supporting the scene and supporting the bands. Yeah, and it's it's good to see. Like, um, while for, for like for metal, I don't see there being as as much of a an excitement around new metal bands. No. Um, these days, which I think is, is, is a bit of a shame because I remember going to metal shows when I was a kid and being like, they were packed out shows. Um, and there just doesn't seem, really seem to be anyone bridging the gap between the, the smaller metal bands and, you know, like the, the download headliners right now. There's a, there's a few names, obviously, from the UK, but it just, it'd be good to see the metal side pick up again as well as the hardcore. Right, I got you. So, what has being a part of Malevolence taught you about yourself? And what do you think, in your opinion, is the most commonly held misconception about being part of a touring band or being in a touring band? 
I think it's made me learn about myself. I think it's kind of... Hmm. That's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just like... I guess having the like the confidence in myself to actually like go up and you know play play on a stage and enjoy it and that what we're doing is is kind of but then also a lot of fun as well. So mm-hmm. I was kind of just getting that getting that confidence to just have it have, have a go. And if people don't like it, then people don't like it. But unfortunately, we're in the position that we we don't get a lot of bad feedback and uh, right. I, we really, we all, we all really enjoy it. Um, a misconception um, that all right, okay, so a good one. I mean, a good misconception is that people think when you're on tour, it's just like party, 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 yeah. and all this stuff going on. When in reality, it's a load of lads sat around in a dressing room somewhere trying to get on Wi-Fi to chat to the girlfriends or to play fucking farming simulator. <laughs> 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 but, oh. but it's not really uh, you know, cocaine and prostitutes and stuff like that. It's, it's a load of lads trying to get on a Wi-Fi, maybe sharing avocado. <laughs> Everyone trying to piggyback the same signal, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what's your favourite memory so far from Malevolence? What, what, what are you most proud of up to this moment? Yeah. in Asia and so in Australia and um, they're three places that I've always wanted to go outside of being in the band so to, I mean, to be able to go there and play shows and see kids coming along and singing the words back is insane it still blows my mind every time we do it so yeah that, that's probably my top three right okay so if what's your overriding driving ambition that you'd like to see Malevolent achieve what's the one thing you'd like to see the band aspire to now um See, I find this, question, this, this kind of question difficult because I mean yeah. I don't really have necessarily have any aims or like like a place where I want to be. I just know that I want to keep doing it as long as I enjoy it, right? And as long as you know we're we're still having fun and um, and you know getting to travel the world. Like I, I want to see the whole world. Like I find it a, 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 such a such an important thing. If you have the ability to go and tour the world, then you you, you should utilize it and. Definitely not take that for granted. Right, that's an awesome answer, mate. So, what's next for Malevolence? You got the EP's out next week? Yeah? Uh, EP's out on the 24th. 24th, okay. Uh, and then we, uh, obviously, in the current climate, we're kind of trying to work our plans around uh, whether we'll be allowed out of the house. <laughs> so, uh, we've got a few things in the works, uh, a few tools in the works, but again, it's just kind of, we're biding our time at the minute. I think a lot of bands are doing the same. We're just kind of waiting to see how long it takes for this uh, coronavirus to pass. But just trying to stay proactive, and um, you know, we're, we're still writing. We've got we've got plans in motion for a new album as well. So right. we're just writing for that. You know, just keep ourselves busy. Okay, so uh, it's time for some shout-outs. That's the end of the show. Uh, as ever, Engineer Records for sponsoring our nonsense. Yeah, yeah, thank um, you to those guys. Being cool with us, like. Yeah. Um, thank you to Charlie's Family Crisis for the demo track. <laughs> the rest of the bell ends in the band, so that's, uh, <laughs> thanks to Ian, Pixie, Darren, Sean, Mark, and Chug. And thousand drummers you had. And the th- thousand other drummers you had, including Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> 
And, and yeah, that is it. That's about it for another week. So we'll see you again. Ta ta. Take care. Bye bye. Bad Movement Presents. Bad Movement Presents.